Welcome to the Inside the Eight podcast with your hosts, Jamie Monroe and Colleen McGarity. This podcast is dedicated to all things women's lacrosse. We will break down top games of the week, discuss coaching strategies, and lacrosse recruiting. We will even bring in some of the game's top coaches and players as special guests. And now, here are your hosts, Jamie and Colleen. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Inside the Eight podcast. Very excited to have Karen Maurer as my guest today. Um, this is my second guest of the new year. So, Karen, welcome. Awesome. Great. Thanks for having me. Um, why don't you give us a little bio of you as a player, where you're at now, where you're coaching, and then I'll kind of get us going into the episode. Awesome. Yeah, I'm originally from Long Island, went to St. Anthony's High School, graduated in 2011, um, then went to Duke and played four years there. My senior year, went to the Final Four, which was pretty fun and an awesome experience. And then once I graduated, went to Mount St. Mary's for two years, got my master's there. And then since that, I've been at Princeton. This will be my sixth year here. Wow. I can't believe it's been six years at Princeton. Yeah. Wow. It's been crazy, but obviously with Jen taking over this year, it feels like some of the same, but then also new and fresh. I know that's kind of what I wanted to dig in, I guess, a little bit. And we can talk about your mentors along the way. So you obviously um, played for Kirsten Kimmel. Then you went and you at Mount St. Mary's, did you coach with Lauren? Yep. When you were at Lauren. Yeah. And then you went, then you're at Princeton. So I guess like, give me a little bit of, I guess, what you've learned from those you've played for and who you played with. And you obviously coach with one of the greatest Chris Saylor. And like you said, we're starting a new chapter, but we can kind of talk about like the new chapter next, but give me a little bit about your mentors that you've learned from along the way. Absolutely. I mean, I think um, when I was going through the recruiting process, you know, there's a lot of great schools to choose from and great programs. But I think the one thing that really stuck out about Duke for me was Kirsten. Um, you know, throughout the whole process, I really felt that going to Duke would not only make me a better lacrosse player, but overall person with her mentorship and her guidance. And um, I definitely see a lot of commonalities between Kirsten Lowe, Chris and Jen of just like viewing the student athlete as a whole and really investing in them as a person and making them a better person. Um, And then in turn, you know, you usually get good results on the lacrosse field. So um, I think that they've just been really strong mentors for me. I know when I first got out of college and got into coaching, there's a lot to learn, but having someone like Lowe who has similar, similar background and, um, just styles of play and, and playing at a high level and wanting to get the best out of our student athletes. It was great to have her to show me the ropes and, and get me introduced to college coaching. Um, and then obviously coming to Princeton and working for a legend and Chris, um, you know, it was a little intimidating at first, but um, Chris was a really great mentor um, for me as not only a, co- a co-worker, and, but mainly a person. Um, she's definitely pushed me in, outside my comfort zones, outside of the workplace and as a person. And um, I'm definitely forever grateful for her and her mentorship and, and try to keep thinking about, you know, things that she did or said and keep that in my coaching style moving forward. That's awesome. And then Kind of take me through, I guess, like your responsibility at Princeton as you've been there for six years. So what are you in charge of, I guess, on the practice field and the game day and all of that? Yeah, I think uh, since I've gotten here, my main role was the attack and the draw unit. Um, 
And then being an attacker, I kind of got the goalies thrown at me. So that was pretty fun to kind of learn how to navigate that. And, you know, it's always fun getting out there and shooting and, and giving them from an attacking perspective, what they're giving up, what an attacker is looking to shoot. Um, so this year it's a little different. I got, we hired a goalie coach, so um, I no longer work with them, which is a bummer, but um, you know, since I got to Princeton, it's been very collaborative, which has been fun. And um, talking with Jen, who's on the defensive side, it's really just great conversation to talk about, all right, this is what we're viewing from the offensive side. And she'll be like, well, that's super easy to stop. Or like, this is something that we struggle with in scouts trying to defend, like, let's try to throw this wrinkle in. Um, so that's mainly my areas of focus is the offense and the draw as well. Cause I took the draw in college, but that's, that game has changed a little bit since I was in school. Yeah. I'm going to actually ask a couple of draw questions as we get through this, but I'll first start with attack. Um, you guys are kit Kyle this year is graduated, right? So you guys graduated a big yeah, big player. Um, so kind of, I guess what with her being gone, I guess, and you're turning a new leaf, like coaching wise, I guess what has been your main focus on attack at Princeton? Like, are you guys trying to play fast pace? Are you like, what have you guys been doing this fall going into the season? Obviously you don't want to give up too much, but soon there's me film everywhere, but I guess what is your guys MO and what are you known for right now for Princeton offense? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, uh, the year I got here, Olivia Homp graduated. So I was like, oh gosh, like we just graduated an All-American, another prolific attacker from Princeton. Um, you know, and that year was Kyla's freshman year. So she definitely picked up some of the slack, but it really pushed me to um, encourage every single player on the offense to step up and have that role. Um, and I think that that's the similar output we're going to have this year. You know, you, you can focus in on Kyla last year and, and really take away her production. Um, but it's really hard to stop seven high powered attackers. And I think we have a lot of good returners and some freshmen coming in that, that gives some good wrinkles. I think one thing that we've really tried to focus on this fall is just like play what you see in front of you. Um, you know, and I think it's sometimes easier said than done. Um, but really trying to push our players to be the best at what they do, you know? And I think that that's something that I try to instill in them is like, yes, we could always get better at some of our weaknesses, but like, let's really hone in our strengths and how can we set up an offense to appeal to everyone's strengths? Cause I think that that's, you know, that's what it comes down to is people wanted to do what they feel confident and comfortable in. And yes, we'll work on those things that we see as the season develops that, you know, on a scouting report, they're going to think, okay, maybe you're not able to talk underneath and you just want to go over the top. Um, but I think that's like the biggest focus is really trying to create an offense that suits our player strengths. So it just takes the guesswork out of it and they feel confident going into everything they're doing. That's awesome. So what are like, guess, maybe some of your favorite drills that you love to do at practice that I guess, you know, help orchestrate that type of offense and like get the most out of your players. Yeah. I mean, everyone loves man up drills um, as an offensive coach. And I think as much as you are man up, it shows some good things um, that you can do and how you react and, and all of that to slides. I mean, if you look at the college game, there's a lot of early slides or zones nowadays. So you have to learn how to kind of play in that man up mindset at all times, whether it's you drew a double team or you got to find the backside. So we do a lot of man up stuff to just get us thinking, reading the defense, reading that slide. Um, and then how can you attack off of that? Not forgetting that you have the ball on your stick. You got to create and go to goal yourself and make good things happen. Um, so we do a lot of that. I think two man and three man on, on a small area, super good just to really get our attackers to read what the defense is giving them. Um, you know, one thing I see a lot at every level of lacrosse is just like this 
tendency to always want to go to their strong hand or do the same move over and over again. And I, I always ask like, who's played basketball? And, you know, you get a good amount of kids that raise their hand. And it's like, if you're dribbling down the court in your right hand and your defender completely slides to your right, are you not going to cross over? You're not going to keep dribbling that way. Um, so it's like getting them to understand from, I, I love to use different sports as analogies, whether it's soccer, basketball, field hockey, any sports they've played to really get them to see, like you have to read your defense. And yes, you have your bread and butter that you like to do, whether it's that split down the alley and get to your strong hand. But when they read you, like, what are we going to do? And what are the key indicators that you can look at to say, okay, she's reading this. And now I know, all right, when she steps up here, I can beat her back this way. Awesome. And then bringing it to like, I guess your expertise, like you have a really good stick. You have, you're able to shoot around people, you know, you're powerful. Do you do drills and stuff to help your girls like get that creativity. I think a lot of times youth girls just like are so one dimensional, like, and they're always like, I want to be a crafty shooter, but do you have like ways that help, I don't know, replicate what you did as well when you were a player? Yeah. I was kind of, I had an interesting transition to low attack. I was a midfielder in high school as most are. And then, um, when I got to Duke, I was, you know, I don't even know what level, you know, like a top dodger. I was not a behind player. And then um, our coaches were watching film on one of my high school teammates. I was trying to get recruited and they saw me feeding her consistently. And they're like, let's try Karen behind. And I was like, wait, are we sure? So it's so funny. (laughs) um, Yeah. So I did a lot of individuals um, with Josh Hexter at the time, just kind of learning the differences around crease play. Um, You know, I have, kind of just natural innate field vision, which I think you can coach to a certain extent, but you know, it's just mm-hmm. the game. Um, and so I think since I've been at Princeton, we haven't had, had necessarily like a true X player. So definitely have tried to work with our, our people that we've tried to create into those X players like myself um, on really reading your defense, where they're sitting on your body, how like what steps you have to get your hands free. You know, I think around the crease, if you look at some of the best crease players, they have the best shot releases, you know, they know when their hands are free, how they have that split second of that little window to get a shot on net. So we do some of that, you know, smaller work around the cage, whether it's footwork or stick work. And I think it's just confidence, like, you know, allowing players to be like, oh yeah, you're right. I did have my hands free there for a split second, but I'm so used to getting right in front of the cage to get that perfect shot. And a lot of times at the college level, that doesn't exist. So you got to work with what you're given against really good defenders and try to create your opportunities based on that. Right. And for them to realize those opportunities, how much do you guys utilize film or how much did you as well and with your attackers? Yeah. I mean, we, uh, we film almost every practice and really um, try to encourage them to watch film. I think that's, you know, sometimes a lost art with practicing and training and and classes, you know, it's like sometimes really difficult to be like, sit down and watch film. It seems a little, <laughs> yeah. so we try They're to also at Princeton. Guys. So exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, if I see something really glaring at practice, I'll, I'll clip it. I'll text it to them and just be like, Hey, this is what I see. Just so it's like this small thing that they can digest super easily um, and have them thinking about the next practice, but it is, 
you know, we watch game film, obviously scout film. And, and even when we watch scout film, sometimes I'll be like, look at this attacker or these attackers and what they're doing. And this reminds me of you, like, look what they're doing here. Like you're very capable of doing that and just kind of giving them that vision that you see for them. That sometimes, like you say, it's that one move that they love and they want to do that and getting them to realize like you have the tools to be creative. Sometimes you just need to see it. And I think that also comes with working at Princeton, I've learned different learning styles that players have, you know, and it's, it's not all one size fits all it's, do they like to do it on field? Do they like to see it on film? Do they need to draw it out and trying to touch all those different learning points to really get it to one day that aha moment where you're like, okay, this makes sense. Now I get it. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, even thinking about how easy film is now to get to your players, I'm sure is awesome where it used to be. Yeah. Like we used to go in and get a DVD. <laughs> that used to be our scout when I was playing, which is crazy. But now I guess you can just clip it up and they can watch it at any time. And, and, yep. um, which is so helpful for them to see. Um, now with that, like your guys, I guess, practice style in general, is it, do you have like, is it quick, fast pace, hour and a half, you guys in out, like, what are you guys kind of like, what's your structure at Princeton right now with your, um, practice like structure? Yeah, I think, you know, the Ivy League having the rules that are a little different um, where we have some time restrictions in a very fast preseason. I mean, we start Feb 1, we have our first scrimmage on Feb 4 and we're just wow. like, you know what? let's see what we got, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think when I talk to coaches about it, and they're like, what's that like? I'm like, you really have to pick what you want to focus on. And, you know, sometimes you get to your first game and you're like, well, we might not have had time to cover that as in depth as we wanted to, but it really helps you to focus on the things that are really important um, and kind of takes away that like those long drawn out practices where you're like, oh my gosh, we've been out here for a bit. Like my brain mm -hmm. is, is no longer working. So we, you know, we like to keep, keep it fast, keep it high energy, keep it intense. Um, but we also do a, a lot of teaching. Um, we think that that's really just, you know, not that everyone doesn't, but that's something that our players really buy into. They want to learn and then they want to implement right away, fast pace, um, get them going and compete. So now going off that with your time restrictions and what you have, and you said you also focus on the draws. Do you guys do draw work? Is that like before or after practice thing? Is that a during practice focus? Kind of what is your um, take and approach on the draw? Yeah, I think we have a good draw group that will get out there early on their own as well and get some reps in. And, you know, I try to give them drills that they can do on their own or in groups of two or the full, the full group. So we'll sometimes do if we're like having a specific scout for a team we'll get them out there and, and go over the scout but then in practice we try to incorporate drills that in, involves the draw and then involves the rest of the team whether it's a draw down to cage which is super effective or you do two draws and the first one's just a real draw see how our draw play is doing and then the second one you're going down to cage so it's kind of like you're getting everyone involved but you're still getting those reps and then um you know we'll do individuals obviously with the draw takers and, and kind of get them fine-tuned in that as well and then the big question, which I, I feel like everyone uses, do you guys use draw sticks? Does everyone just use draw sticks now? You have to. If you're not, I, you know, I, I, I held out for a while. Um, right. I, I when, the, when I was taking the draw, I was just like, all right, you got to be fast. You got to be quick. You got to know where you're trying to put the ball. But now there's a lot more that goes into it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you kind of have to adapt with the times with a lot of things, right? Like more zone uh, defenses are coming in. So you have to really get like 
aware of good zone offenses and all of that. And that's not something I think that was in the game as prevalent as it is now five years ago. So yes, we do um, use a draw stick now because I think if you use a normal stick against a draw stick, you're probably not winning many. <laughs> that game. Right. Exactly. Um, then that brings me next to, I guess, like how much the draw unit plays into now, like just like those on the circle, do you, um do a focus like is that part of your draw team your circle girls or yeah and then like just that communication piece yeah I mean we graduated March Donovan who's now um taking her fifth year at Maryland and she was huge yeah. for us, um, on the circle that she was just super athletic knows for the ball basketball kids so no you knew how to use her height um all of that so she was huge for us and it was like let's get the ball to her right um you know, we do have some really good draw takers that have the ability to win it to themselves, but I think athleticism speed wise, like our circle kids, whether it's an attacker, midfielder, defender are very good at coming up with the ball. So we try to do, you know, work with the individual draw takers, but for us, it's equally as important to get those circle kids involved because there's a lot of teams also that have the same thing, very good defenders or attackers on the circle. And we're trying to figure out how we can compete with them and keep the ball out of their stick. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy just to watch how important the communication is from the draw taker to the circle people. And I try and tell that to like youth coaches all the time. Like you need a draw person. Like, no, the circle people need just to be on the same page. Like half the time is the battle of just like taking the right step in the right direction. Yeah. Which I is mean, so hard to teach. Yeah. And it, it's, I mean, it's from where the ball's placed in your stick to where, you know, they're trying to put it to the circle people where they're lined up. I mean, there's a lot mm -hmm. of thought. Um, it's like a little chess match before the play even begins on, you know, where you think you have to kind of have a good guess of where you think the ball is going to go. And then you got to yeah. that with your circle people. Exactly. Like you said. Awesome. And then getting to that, we, you touched upon it briefly in your answer about zones. And I kind of want to make this like a two part question, I guess. How much do you practice? I guess it depends on who you're playing offense against the zone. Are you guys seeing just more and more zone events is out there? And then vice versa, is that something that you guys focus on as well as a defensive team at Princeton? Yeah, um, you kind of have to, just like you have to use the draw stick, you have to have a zone offense and you have to have a few. Um, you know, there's a lot of different zones out there, backer, sag, I mean, you name it. Um, yeah, I mean, in the fall, sometimes we'll play a team that has a zone and we're like, well, we don't necessarily have the best zone offense right now. We've had four <laughs> yeah. practices. Um, so, but I, I think, like I said earlier, when we do those man up drills or even, you know, 3v3 drills, you create a, a man up opportunity, which is kind of like a zone, right? You know, you've mm -hmm. got to find that. Um, so if we are doing a drill like that, I will stop and say, okay, against a man, like this is the look that's most likely going to be there, but against the zone, you might have to continue to move it. Um, so I kind of always try to throw a wrinkle in there. So we're always thinking from both sides and not being so literal of what, like, this is what I do when this happens, because it changes, um, on the defensive side of the ball, you know, we're usually a man team. Um, mm -hmm. so when we play against other man defenses, it's, it feels great for us, um, because it's yeah. always practice every day. Um, but not to say that we don't have the ability to play a zone. I just think we, uh, we have very good man defense. I mean, Jen is a defensive wizard, um, and she throws in a really good game plan depending on what teams we're playing. So, um, when we do have to run a zone D at practice, it still challenges us to that next level. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jen, Jen played at UNC, right. And it's like UNC, Maryland, those are just, they're not changing their ways of 
you got good man-to-man defense. It's tough to beat. Yep. You got to stick with it. Um, that's awesome. So I have um, a couple of questions too, just the, like culture piece. I'm really big into like culture of teams. And I guess what is like one thing that you focus on to create that culture at Princeton, maybe that you took from with you from Duke or like, I guess like, I don't know, I love learning about teams cultures and like what you do to help orchestrate a culture and help like, you know, make those players play for each other. And I think a lot of the youth and high school players that want to go play, you know, at the next level are like, I want to be the score a thousand goals. And like so much is a culture and your individual, you know, characteristical traits that will make you part of a team. So I don't know. Yeah. I think one of the the biggest quotes that I've taken at Princeton and it's like culture is a living, breathing thing. Um, so it's something that we're constantly talking about, keeping an eye on, um, you know, communicating with our players from every, every level, you know, freshman to senior. I think that's super important. Um, you know, it's obviously you have your upperclassmen and your captains that are driving the bus. Um, but that buy-in factor is super huge and, and making sure everyone feels a part of it. Right. And so freshmen equally have a say in what we're doing or how they feel and just keeping a pulse on them. You know, if you feel like you are really part of it and you're not just being told what to do, but you have a say, you know, you're, you're always going to get better results. So, you know, we do a lot of stuff, you know, we have meetings with individual classes, players, we read books. I mean, we, we have speakers come. So we do a lot with culture. Um, you know, I think at Princeton, we know our, our playing experience is different being an Ivy League student, um, you know, and how can we, like I said, with those time restrictions, like how can we use that to our advantage? And, and a lot of times that is the off the field stuff and being the closest team possible um, and developing those relationships, not only within your class, but across classes is super huge for us. And now this gets me like, what would be an example potentially of like on your team, in your culture, what would be a non-negotiable? What's like, all right, that's just, we don't do that here at Princeton. Like I was given an example of like not hitting the line, but like, you know what I mean? Like, do you have something that's like, all right, this is what we do and you can't do that. Oh gosh. That would be a good question for the girls. They have like a long list of team mm-hmm. standards and stuff. Some of them are, you know, on field. Some of them are funny. Like sometimes when we see them in the locker room, I'm like, that is funny. Like, it's just like, yeah team standards that you're like, all right. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, or I think- even for you, like, cause I get into recruiting a little bit at the end, but like, what's something that you see like characteristic wise or culture wise, you're like, that's not, that's not okay. Like that's not allowed here at Prince and lacrosse or like, we wouldn't want to have that on your team. Yeah. I think, um, you know, one thing we've, we've tried to implement this fall, um, is just like, acknowledging coaching or acknowledging your teammates, I think is super huge. You know, when you're in it and you're playing and, you know, if you're a freshman or even a sophomore, you're like thinking all the time. Like I remember freshman year, I'm like, mm-hmm. here's watching my every move. And as a coach, I'm like, oh my God, that it couldn't be further from the truth, right? Like you have so many things as a coach on your mind, you're watching the bigger picture, you're watching individuals, but like, you know, having the freshman give a coaching point or say something and, and our, our senior being about like, I hear you, I hear you. Good point. Like I got that. Um, and just that like verbal and, and physical recognition, I think is, is huge. And I think that's something that our culture has really taken on, even with our coaching, like we, our players like to stop, look at us, hear our coaching and not just like keep running to the next line. Um, and I think that's something that's huge, like really 
investing in people and hearing the feedback and like being in the moment, being present, I think is, is one of the biggest things. I mean, after COVID, everyone was kind of like, whoa, that was nuts, especially for us. We were online for a very long time. We had girls taking yeah. off. Um, and so coming back to that normal reality, it's kind of like, you got to get your mind back to being like present in the moment. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm not on a computer screen doing other things. Um, so I think that that's something that we've really honed in on this year. That's, that's really been helpful for us. I like that a lot. I mean, I think that kind of ties into like actually listening where I think sometimes like my players are like, I'm like, are you listening or are you actually like thinking about what you're going to say next or thinking about your answer before actually listening? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think sometimes I'll give coaching. I'm like, did she hear me? Like, did she (laughs) hear me? Did she know I was talking to her? So I think that that's something that's huge from both sides. Um, so yeah, I think that that that's just been really helpful. Right. Like it's okay not to know the answer. Like you actually would rather them not know the answer. Yeah. And like say so you're actually in the moment to think about it and then like maybe come back and be like, "Hey, I was thinking about what you just said and it's like clicking now or, you know, it's okay if you, it didn't click right away." Absolutely. Um, and I think it's just like our players will sometimes be like, "All right, can you watch me in the next set then?" and see like if I'm under implementing and understanding what you're mm-hmm. saying and sometimes I'm like, "Yep, that's exactly." It. And sometimes I'm like, "All right, let's bring it back over and let's try to reword this or like try to view it in a different yeah. way. It's part of that learning. Like I was talking about just like how we can adapt to different players, learning styles and get them to like really understand what we're seeing for them. Yeah. That's awesome. And you maybe already answered this because you mentioned something about you wish you knew, but what would be one thing that you wish you knew as a player that you know now as a coach? Wow. Wow. I know. I thought about this question on my drive home. So this one's for you. (laughs) Uh, I think the biggest thing as a coach that I've just seen, and it's something we talk about and Jen uses this a lot is energy is never neutral. Um, And so I just think like your energy and every second that you're around your team and other people is transferable, whether it's a lift or a practice or a game, like just your energy and how you can affect your teammates and your coaches and everyone in a positive or negative way. And I think we always talk about that, like, just bring your energy. Like even when things are not going well, like energy will get you through, Um, you know, and I think that that's one thing that, that I've definitely, you know, noticed as a coach. I mean, if I could be a player now, knowing the things I know from just an X's and O's standpoint, it's also very (laughs) Um, more helpful. I mean, when we have girls that are either injured or coach over the summer, um, they come back and they're like, wow, I, I, I see what you're talking about now, whether it's you know, a, a positive thing or a negative thing. I'm like, yes, we're not just saying it to say it, trust us. We're, we're yeah. saying there's a purpose behind it. So, you know, outside the X's and O's, I think just like that energy piece is, is super huge. Isn't it crazy? Like as a coach, you just learn, you're like, I want this person on the field. Don't know why but their energy is amazing. Like, yeah. and I'm like, holy crap. I wish that, you know, I knew that as a player, just like, I think you did, you knew that when you had positive energy, things were going well, but I don't think people and players in the high school and in college level realize how much of a game changer it is. Like you want to coach them. Players want to be around them. It makes the drill more fun. Yeah. And then like, it makes the hard things easy. Yeah. It's kind of like that fake it till you make it sometimes, right? Like, yeah, if you're just out there having good energy, even when things aren't going well, like if you just keep being positive, like eventually it's going to, 
turn out well, or you're just having a much better time, even if it doesn't. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm like, even if it's not great, like you made it look great. Like, yeah, yeah. might as well. Like if your day's going to turn around and, and I think it's like, it's such a two-way street. Like I think more as like, you know, when I show up to go coach, you're just like, well, they have the energy. So I have to have the energy, you know what I mean? And it's, it's crazy. And it's, it, it is like, you know, the energy bus, he wasn't lying. It, it works. It's real. <laughs> Um, all right, bringing on to a little bit, um, we have a lot of high school coaches that listen to this podcast and players and those that like start the recruiting, um, path, whether they're super young or older, I guess, what are some, um, advice that you can give to those heading into this summer, you know, maybe their biggest summer of recruiting, like what's some advice you can give them. Um, and then I'll ask a few questions from there. Yeah. Oof. There's a lot of advice I could give from. Yeah. Short and sweet, whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. From like just being a, one of my biggest things as, um, and this is more like choosing a school, but one of the biggest mm-hmm. things that I remember in the recruiting process is just like picking a school. And yes, it's a program and your lacrosse experience really influences that, that you're going to be ultimately happy at, um, you know, facilities and bells and whistles are, are, are fun and great. And they look really cool, but like, you always need to keep in mind, like, is this somewhere where say I couldn't play lacrosse or lacrosse was an option that I would still be happy. Um, you know, and I think Princeton ultimately is a place that, like that for a lot of people, just cause it it's Princeton and has really good culture, academics, all that. Um, But then, you know, on the field standpoint, I think the biggest thing that I've started to see is just kind of that summer burnout. Um, And, you know, there'll be players that I'll see in June that I'll be like, wow, like that, she looks great. And then come August, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, is she okay? She injured and I'll ask her club coach. And like, she's just been to 18 different camps in the last three weeks. So she's tired. And I'm like, okay, well tell her she can just like take a break. Um, You know, if, if you are, you know, supposed to be at a school, we will find you. I think that's the biggest thing. Like, you know, if, if you're a a type of player that's going to play at Princeton and help us succeed and excel, like we will find you, um, at the tournaments at camps. Um, I think a lot of players like to go to a lot of different things and that's great, but you also got to put yourself first and your body first and recognize that like playing at hundred percent, four times is better than playing at 75, eight times. Um, you know, I think as a coach, I noticed that a lot specifically this summer. I think it's just also a product of the pandemic. Another thing I personally like to see is playing numerous sports and not giving up on sports. I think lacrosse is a mixture of a lot. You know, I've played basketball all growing up and I think a lot of my game I got from playing basketball and playing against zone defenses and, you know, all that stuff. Um, you know, I always say sometimes our girls will shoot at the net without looking. And I'm like, if you had a basketball in your hand, would you just shoot at the basket without looking? No. So why are we thinking this? So is true. Right? I'm like, uh, the no look is a thing, but that was not a no look. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I know there's a lot, but um, also like, don't panic, right? Like mm-hmm. enjoy the process. I know it's hard. You feel like you're setting yourself up for the rest of your life, but like, enjoy it. You have coaches on the sidelines coming to watch you in a game that we all love that you guys love, like just try to enjoy it as much as possible and not put a lot of pressure on yourself. Cause you always play your best when you're having fun. Um, instead of putting that pressure of like, I need to perform my best. That's when you get really tight. Totally. And now I think a question leading off of that, like most of the parents 
go crazy and do the summer burnout because they like don't know what to prioritize. So what would you say I think has been the most beneficial um, for you as a coach going through this process, working with the kids at your own camp or, you know, seeing them at a tournament? Like, what do you think is where you like get, I guess, see the most that you're like, all right, I saw this kid a lot. I got to work with them and they're going to be on our list. Yeah. I think from, there's like two sides of this, you know, from mm-hmm. a coach's side, like obviously we're going to all the tournaments, we're working different camps and then our own camp is huge. So we'll see players at a tournament, um, you know, and having them at the Princeton camp is super helpful for a lot mm-hmm. of different reasons. You get a lot of time with them. You allow them to interact with your players. You allow them to be on campus. Um, and then the coaching piece, like, you know, do they implement coaching? How do they take feedback? What are they like as a person, you know, that energy piece that we just talked about, you know, what's their energy like? Um, But we also understand from the player and parent side, if you can send your kid to a camp that has four schools they're interested in at one camp, like obviously financially that and time wise, that's going to make more sense. So I think it's just, you know, if you can get to an individual college camp, um, I think that that's super helpful. But if not, like finding what schools interest you and trying to get seen in front of them at different camps numerous times um, is super helpful just so we can get to work with them and see them not only as a player and what they can do on the field, because everyone's going to be interested in that, but like what, how they are as a person, a teammate, a player, all that. Mm -hmm. No, that's huge. And I think it, uh, it definitely helps like calm down the high school athlete that didn't have their best game at a tournament. I'm always like, not a huge deal. You're going to actually like seal the deal or not seal the deal at the camp. Like no one's going to be like, yes, love that kid you know, or absolutely not at one tournament game. So it's like, gives you a little bit of breathing room that like the ball's not always going to, you know, roll your way at a tournament game. Those games are also like 30, 30 minutes long. Sometimes you never touch the ball. Like it's not the end of the world if it doesn't work out at that tournament game. Yeah, we will. I mean, we'll see players many times throughout starting Mm -hmm. from the fall. um, You know, obviously that's not always a key indicator, but it's always good to just get, you know, certain kids on your radar, check them out early. And then in the summer, we will see them numerous times. Um, I don't know many coaches that make decisions based on, like you said, one game of 35 minutes or whatever it is. So um, I think it's important and it's important to see how they bounce back from a bad game or maybe, you know, a loss and all of that and and going to the next game and usually see a completely different player. And that's what you want to see, getting their confidence back and, and seeing their true self. Perfect. Super helpful. And hopefully there's a lot of people listening out there taking notes and writing it down and not going to 800 million things. <laughs> um, so yeah. So what's our date here? February 1st is coming up soon. Right. And that's like official start date of, of uh, Ivy league. Yep. February 1st. And then you play who on the fourth? We play West point on the fourth and then we open up with UVA on is that the 17th, I believe. Wow. This is exciting. Yeah. Uh, well, I can't wait to watch you guys play, watch your offense. I'll have to catch, catch a game. You're not too far away. Um, we're in Philly and, a lot this, uh, this season too. I think we're in Philly like four different times. Oh, really? Awesome. Cool. Well, count us there. I'll be there with my whole crew watching Princeton and cheering you guys on and watching your offense and your draws and taking it all in. And I appreciate you taking the time to hop on this podcast. Awesome. Of course. Good luck, Karen.